I want to break into the world of gross participation. But MGM, which is the studio that ultimately bought it, said like, we don't do gross participation for authors, but we do for producers, so we'll make you a producer. <laughs> In so many movies, I see the grafted on female character. It drives me crazy. Like, I call them fast forward characters when I'm like, I could literally skip every scene with this character in it and I would not miss a single thing happening in the movie. No, that sounds good, Natalie. Uh, I've got my next story. I'll just send you what I've got so far and I need you to finish it. Not a problem. Finish the first draft for me. I'm great and then ideas. send it back to me for edits. And you can send me your book for edits too. You know? I will send you that. We'll do that. That sounds good. Welcome to another bestsellers. I'm Natalie Jameson. And I'm Phil Williams. And it's a cracker. Well, they're all crackers, actually, aren't they? But it's a really good one today. Really, really good one. And actually, I checked just before we came on this pod to speak to you. I checked, and this book is still flying high on Amazon.com, on the American Amazon. Still getting, yeah. They're still <laughs> like pushing it as one of their books of 2021. Well, I'm not surprised uh, because it is Project Hail Mary by the author Andy Weir. And I think I sounded quite excitable in this recording. Just to put it in context, we hadn't done many recordings yet for series two. So I think I was a little bit out of practice and, and yeah, just overexcitable for talking to other people after a year of You're always lockdown. so hard on yourself. <laughs> you sounded, I did the editor, you sounded great. And <laughs> in fact, if anything, right, you got the science nailed. That was, oh, yeah. Back when I was editing this, I was thinking, oh, Natalie's really understood the science here. I was having to reread a little bit because science <laughs> has never been a strong point. Because he does, which, I mean, you'll hear in the interview, but one of Andy Weir's things is that he makes sure the science isn't BS, right? It actually, it works for the story. It does. It does. And it's, yeah, it's very clever and absolutely feeds into the thrilling narrative of this book and, and all his writing that I've done so far as well. Um, I should say too, if you have or haven't read this book yet, there are some spoilery things that happen that we do talk about later, but we will give you lots of warning because again, if you have read it like we have, then frankly, you just have to talk to them about a couple of things in it because why would you not use that opportunity? Um, yeah. But we give plenty of warning. There are like two or three warnings and he's happy to engage in the conversation with you because um, it was you specifically had the spoilery thing. And, uh, <laughs> but he, he does say, yeah, if you haven't read the book. So at some point in the pod, you know, if you haven't read it yet and, I mean, I have to say, having read it, I don't think it's that much of a, because you're going to get no. to it anyway. It's not like, it's not like yeah. a twist. You're not giving a twist away. You're revealing a character that emerges later on in the story. That's all you do. Yeah. And I think it's that thing where, you know, even if you know all the details of a story, as long as it's written well, it kind of doesn't matter. You know, like I do that thing. I'm sure you do as well, where we watch the same films, read the same books sometimes over and over again. And they're still just as thrilling, even when you know what's coming. Right. Um, it depends how well it's told. So um, let's get into it. This was recorded in May 2021, just so you know what kind of place you're in and why I may or may not sound a little bit hyper. Um, so here it is. It's Andy Weir. Andy Weir. 
Our guest on bestsellers had an instant debut hit. Ridley Scott signed it. Matt Damon starred in it, and it went on to gross over $600 million worldwide. It was, of course, The Martian. And now its creator, Andy Weir, is back with Project Hail Mary, where the future of the planet lies in the hands of just one man. The future of this podcast lies in the hands of just one man, and it's Andy Weir. Welcome, welcome. Very nice to have you here. Thank you. It's great to be here. I think your podcast would be fine with or without me, but... Uh... <laughs> I, no, I, I think it is 100% better with you, trust me. Well, thank you. <laughs> Listen, um, uh, before we get stuck into the, the nuts and bolts of this, just tell me how crazy or otherwise your life is right now because this book has just come out it's getting rave reviews everywhere there's already yet another movie in progression are you getting a minute to yourself and your dog or not uh not not a lot of time to myself uh yeah it's been it's been a real real busy um real busy promotional kind of tour because okay so covid meant there's no book tour right so you know everything i'm doing is just from my computer at home but since everything is virtual and everybody's accepting that all things are virtual now um the publisher has no reason not to book me at a million different things because i don't have to travel from one to another right <laughs> yeah <laughs> right you have no excuse yeah, no so excuse. just like boom 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 it's lessening up now i mean most of the um most of the marketing effort and publicity effort comes before the release. So now that we're post-release, it's like, okay, okay, we can, you know, dial it back a little bit. It's still very busy, but uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's been pretty busy, but this is a good problem to have. Yeah, and I should imagine it's quite a good problem when you've got people like, in the UK anyway, probably the most famous astronaut, Tim Peake, recommending oh that's great as well it's fantastic it. I, I couldn't ask for better um for for better uh poll quotes i've got you know one from tim peak one from george R. R. martin uh, brandon sanderson <laughs> blake crouch uh, these are great yeah. great great people to have so just to start off with because your book is do you classify it as science fiction yeah. how do you actually classify it yeah yeah it's science fiction I feel that also feel by the way fiction... i don't know why a lot of people have a problem with the term sci-fi but that's exactly what i was going to say I'm, like why is it such a malign i don't genre? i don't know where that came from i think just the identity politics of our era the uh, sci-fi fans wanted to you know take part in being offended at things i don't know but i am a <laughs> sci-fi writer i write sci-fi my sci-fi readers read my sci-fi. I'm not offended by the term at all. <laughs> and I don't understand why it would be. You know what, though? We need to, we need to sort this out, don't we? Because we spoke to mm. Kevin Kwan last year, oh, you know, yeah. Crazy Rich Asians. And uh, we're having the same debate about rom the phrase rom-com. Yeah. And why is it that every tag that's, that comes with literature, it seems to have some know. kind of elitism to it? But people, by all means, call it sci-fi or if you're uncomfortable with the politically charged term sci-fi, say science fiction, but I certainly don't care. <laughs> or you can just say it's a thriller as well, because that's what it is too. It's just a rollicking good adventure. Well, thank um, you. So yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed it. But yeah, it's so funny the labels that people put on things without actually, you know, they make up their minds before they've read anything. So I should say before we go any further, Andy, that uh, Phil and I started this podcast because we're huge fans of popular fiction um phil actually came to reading quite late in life and um, i've read a whole range of things until then comics. he just like you know hoped <laughs> people would explain land. what the signs on the walls say phil at age 40 to be honest with you andy at <laughs> yeah, yeah okay yeah, yeah yeah hang on one second i'm sorry just one second <laughs> what i was we apologize for the delay to the bestsellers podcast that's caused by a very cute dog needy dog very very <laughs> needy dog 
Uh, thank you. Yeah, he's. Oh, it's a cute dog interruption. He, uh, he's well. We're told he's a Shih Tzu slash Lhotse Apso mix, but you know he's a mm -hmm. he's a shelter dog, so he's whatever he is. <laughs> yeah. But he's our boy. He's our little guy, <laughs> and he's blind, so he's kind of a special needs dog. He has no Ooh, eyes. Yeah. yeah. Oh. And um, and so, you know, he he relies on us to you know put him where he needs to be like um you know put him in front of his water dish and stuff he can find it himself but he has a really bad habit of just licking the floor <laughs> everywhere so if we just let him roam free he'll just eat all the cat fur and 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 my wife's hair that's on the floor and everything else and yeah. then he'll be throwing up and stuff so we can't just let him roam free and he can't find things uh, anyway he's a special oh. needs dog <laughs> yeah it's great the, the first cat that um, myself and my husband got from a rescue shelter this is years ago was asthmatic <laughs> and similarly we had to he needed a lot of care and attention no. too so yeah <laughs> anyway i'm sorry so oh yeah so uh, basically yeah, i mean i did that classic <laughs> kind of uh, guy thing really andy of only reading autobiographies do you know what i mean it wasn't i wasn't i was easily 35 plus before mm. i discovered the joys of fiction and now i can't stop but it's and i think english a level here mm. put me off because a lot of the texts were very it was really old antiquated stuff and chaucer was never going to hook me into this kind of fiction that you write do you know what i mean <laughs> What you don't want to you don't want to read Paradise Lost in the original Anglo-Saxon, you Philistine. Yeah, whereas I should say that I was the kind of geeky kid at school who really enjoyed most things, but was kind of I I went to night school when I was 15, 16 to do an extra exam in physics because my sister was doing it and I thought that might be fun. Right. There's nothing more the fun than a I'd... physics exam. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I would already doing. I was doing too many at school, so they wouldn't let me take any more. So I thought I'd do an extra one at night school, and then would read things like Marie Curie's uh, biography uh, that I'd find in a corner of a library because I was like, "Oh, it just sounds fascinating." So she yeah. was simply a radiant woman. A <laughs> uh, uh, little bit of science humor there. <laughs> so, shall we get the brief premise? Pierre, please turn on nightlight. But darling, we don't have a nightlight anyway. <laughs> You're glowing. Uh, do you want to give us the quick rundown of why people should read Project Hail Mary? Um, because when they buy the book, I get money. And um, I mean, you don't even have to read it as far as I'm concerned. If you just buy it, that's fine with me. I mean, <laughs> no. Um, so uh, Project Hail Mary is my latest book. Um, I, I think I'm growing as a writer a little bit. I'm getting a little bit better at my craft. I'm always working on it. And uh, I feel like this one I did a good job on. And if you know any writers, I can tell you that it's incredibly rare for a writer to think they did a good job, or at least it certainly is for me. And yeah. this one feels good. Um, things came together really well. Um, I got my, I got my kind of trademark realistic science. And this time I, I, you know, I put a lot of work into, uh, I feel like my biggest weakness as a writer is character depth and complexity and character arcs. I'm such an intensely plot driven writer. Like you, you read the Martian, you know, Mark Watney's the same at the end as he is at the beginning. He undergoes no change. <laughs> also at the end of the book, all you know about Mark Watney is he's a guy who didn't want to die. So there's neither depth nor growth, right? I mean, no one would accuse. Yeah, well, 
but no one would accuse the Martian of being literature, right? And so I, I've always felt like characters are my weakest thing. So this time I really put uh, time and effort into character depth and growth and complexity. So for anybody who feels like that was lacking in my previous books, I think you'll 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 like what you see here. And then also um, my usual, just all sorts of problem solving, science, fun, and humor, and just the things I do. So uh, yeah, hopefully people will like it. But mainly, uh, hopefully people will, you know, buy it so that, you know, I can, I can have money. I've got a dog to support, you know. <laughs> I love it. So um, the idea for this one, seeing, so if you're plot driven, is it always the big premise that gets you first? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And so for The Martian, uh, that story came from me just speculating, how could we do a Humans to Mars mission? Right. I was like, you know, how do we get them there? How do we get them back? And what, what could go wrong? And how do they deal with it? And oh, a lot of stuff could go wrong. And that kind of led me to thinking about the Martian. Uh, for Artemis, I was thinking about what will humanity's first city that's not on Earth be like? And I kind of designed the city of Artemis on the moon and then came up with a story to take place in it. For Project Hail. Just to pause briefly on that. So I've just started to read Artemis as well. Um, it's so fun. Oh, thank you. I'm, <laughs> I'm glad really you like enjoying it. it. But there, Phil, you'll, you'll love it too because they're the prep. So I haven't got very far into it at all yet. But basically, there's a visitor center on the moon because, of course, there is. So um, yeah, it's just. It's, well, it's a tourism based economy. <laughs> oh. um, but yeah, Artemis is generally known as Andy Weir's other book. Uh, so <laughs> but it, um, anyway, and so for Project Hail Mary, it's actually, I went into the junkyard of my mind and um, found like bits and bobs of plots and ideas that I'd, I'd never been able to put together into a story before. Like I had this one cool idea for a story like, oh, how about a fuel that converts mass into light and to propel spaceships? That would be really cool because then with like a couple hundred kilograms of fuel, you could take a big spaceship to Mars, no problem. And, but that's not enough for a story just by itself. And then I had another idea of a guy waking up aboard a spaceship with amnesia. And I didn't have any idea why he was there or what the point was, but I thought that'd be interesting, the scientific guy, and it would take him a while to find out that he's even aboard a spaceship and so on. And then, um, and, and that was another idea. And then I also had an idea, um, it was part of a different story that I started and abandoned, but a woman who has like an incredible amount of secret authority, like she can literally just kind of tell governments what to do. And, but she uses it just specifically for like solving a specific problem. And I, I, I was able to put all these elements together. It seems like a nice streamlined novel, doesn't it? But it, it's like, it's basically, I cobbled it together out of ideas in my mental junkyard and I, somebody said, well, it seems seamless. And I'm like, well, there was a, there's a lot of spackle in the seams. <laughs> you just can't see it. <laughs> and also when we join it, I mean, there is a, there's a brilliant puzzle element to it as well. That's what we should convey, isn't it? That, so the amnesia bit that Andy was just telling you about, that, that is present. And we join it and we, the, the guy, the hero of, of the story, he doesn't know where he is. It might be a hospital. It might not be a hospital. He's incapacitated. Until he remembers his name, he's not going to be able to kind of get any freedoms from the from the robots that are tending to him and looking after him and so um through bits of flashback and through bits of that current narrative it's first how we establish what the hell is going on in it mm -hmm. yeah and that was just a, a, a pure naked literary device for 
just purely to make uh, the storytelling easier on me. Uh, I freely admit it. First off, I am a huge hypocrite, you should know, because I always tell everybody not to use flashbacks. Every time a writer asks for advice, I'm like, don't use flashbacks. It's a thing that lazy hack writers do. <laughs> so anyway, I am a lazy hack writer. Um, and the reason is because the way the story unfolds is there's a bunch of stuff that happens on Earth over five years. And that's um, uh, only little bits of it are actually interesting. Like there's a lot of nothing going on and then a breakthrough, then nothing going on, then a breakthrough. If I tried to narrate that linearly, the reader would get whiplash just from the sudden, oh, and now it's two years later between these two scenes and it would just be weird. And then after they launch the ship, you would never see any of those characters again in the book. And so it would be really unsatisfying, but interspersing the earth stuff with the, uh, with the, with the present time uh, story lets me kind of like give them the information about what was going on on earth without having to make a full on narrative about it. And also I, so the, the thing that bugs me about, I, I had to do some soul searching because I'm like, I hate flashbacks and I want to use flashbacks. Okay. <laughs> So I, I was thinking about what is it I actually hate about flashbacks so much? What's my problem with them? And the problem is all too often in stories, it, you know, the main plot line is something really interesting. You know, so, oh, I'm really engaged. I'm really interested. And then all of a sudden, now we're going to have a flashback to how the main character met his wife. And I'm like, I don't care about that. I, do, I don't, I don't care. I want, there's interesting stuff going on over here. And now you're just showing me stupid, boring crap. And so a flashback mm -hmm. is often like your mom calling you to come in and clean your room when you're out playing with your friends, right? It's like, come on, I, you know, I'm having fun out here. You make me do that. So I decided like, maybe I can get away with flashbacks if the flashbacks themselves are unfolding a mystery. So the reader's mm -hmm. like, ooh, okay, that main plot is interesting, but now I'm gonna get a little nugget of information mm -hmm. on what the hell's going on in the past and then um, before I have a chance to miss the main plot line, I'll be back to it. Well, well anyway, and also I think what you've done skillfully <laughs> is firstly, the flashbacks aren't that long. So you never take us away from the main narrative right, for there. ages or chunks. You don't do that. And when we jump back in, it's immediately like whatever we've just read makes instant sense for the next bit. Right. And, and that's, I did that on purpose. That that's why I did the memory loss thing. So he has these flashes of memory as they are topical to what he's doing. He's like, what the hell is this thing? Flash of memory. Oh, and it makes sense that he would remember that thing because something sparked his memory in the present storyline. Should we, um, let's hear a bit and illustrate that because the bit that we've chosen friendly to read for you, is just a very short, we should say there are um, some books you can discuss more easily than others. We don't want to do any spoilers on Project Hail Mary and there's quite a few that we, you know what I mean? Yeah, um, it's your show. You can feel free to spoil all you want. Just give a give a spoilers tag or a warning or something. Yeah, I, I will definitely do a spoiler warning at some point because I there's a, something I want. There's to There's a character about. you want to talk about. <laughs> yeah. Is there? Is, yes. Is there a character you'd like to discuss? Yeah. There is. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, so yeah, so this this scene is uh, Ryland. That's our main character. Although I don't know if he even knows his name at this point. Um, he's in that hospital room, as Phil described, and uh, there is a robot in the ceiling that's just some arms and stuff that can take care of him and deal with his medical needs. And uh, <clears throat> this scene just starts off with, eat, there's a toothpaste tube on my chest. Huh? Eat, the computer says again. 
I lift the tube. It's white with black text that reads day one, meal one. The heck is this, I say, eat. I unscrew the cap and smell something savory. My mouth waters at the prospect. Only now do I realize how hungry I am. I squeeze the tube and a disgusting looking brown sludge comes out. Eat. Who am I to question a creepy robot armed computer overlord? <laughs> I cautiously lick the substance. Oh my God, it's good. It's so good. It's like thick gravy, but not too rich. I squeeze more straight into my mouth and savor it. I swear it's better than sex. <laughs> awesome awesome that's so uh, i really love hearing it when, when authors read their own work. you should have done your own audio oh no way uh ray porter did the audiobook and he's fantastic i, I wouldn't i wouldn't trade that for the world he he did an amazing job <laughs> i also thought from that description of the gravy like substance coming out <laughs> yes. of the tube you can tell that you've got pets because... yeah you squeeze this weird gloop yeah, well, I had I had this one med I thought was very clever. You had to give it to I had to give it to my cats. It was a one of my cats. He had some throat thing, and it was to kind of loosen up stuff in his throat. Anyway, he it it was oral, and the way they made it was this really sticky goop, and they flavored it, you know, so that it tasted good to cats. But it's hard to make the cat eat, and so what you do is you squeeze it out and put it on your finger and then put it on his paws. And so then they'll clean it off their paws by licking it, right? But what my cat did was he shook his paw and then like this gloop went all over the walls and oh. <laughs> stuff like that. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, so I, I'm trying not to, I'm not gonna do my spoiler warning yet. I'll save it for a little bit uh, further along, but on the science side of it, because so I was saying just before we started, both my husband and I have read this book and he actually read it before I did. And he is much more mathematically minded than I am. Uh, but what I really enjoy about your science is that you write it for people can be on all different types of levels and you're going to get it and you explain it in lots of different ways. So you've got the very technical explanation, but then you sort of do that. And here's what that means. Yeah. It? All intentional. Well, sure. I mean, so my particular style of writing is that I like things to be as accurate to science as possible. And when you when you stay accurate to science, you can end up with some pretty cool. One thing I love is when I'm like, okay, so I'm staying accurate as I can. And then I just kind of go down the rabbit hole and I say like, well, here's the problem. What would happen next? And oftentimes just doing the math presents me with a new problem for the protagonist that I never would have thought of on my own. Um, one example of that was way back in The Martian when I was working out the details of how to grow potatoes, I, I found just one thing while I was reading up on it. It said, oh, by the way, the moisture content of the soil needs to be at least this much. And I was like, oh yeah, that makes sense. You can't just put plants in bone dry soil. It'll leach all the water out of the plant and kill it. And I'm like, uh-oh, wait a minute. And I was like, you're gonna need a lot more water you know, to make all this soil that Mark Watney is, is turning into farmland, you're gonna need a lot more water than would be plausible for people to send on a Mars mission, right? And so that, that the whole plot of him having to make water came from me just, I happened to be like, see that little tidbit about the requirements for growing potatoes. So following the science often gives me cool plot lines. Um, uh, and I've lost the thread. What was the original question? <laughs> On that, on that note as well, though, because I, I also love um, Apollo 13. It's one of my favourite films. Uh, oh, I love Apollo 13. So good. And I actually picked up a bit that I hadn't quite registered as severely oh. post-reading Project Hail Mary. So uh, the bit, you, you mentioned, I think, in Project Hail Mary, how he can 
make lots of things and uh, sort of pivot when he needs to and fix problems because everything's universal, like the nuts and bolts are universal. Mm-hmm. And then I happened to rewatch Apollo 13 and there was a point where- they The air filters were yeah, not universal. Yeah. Because the, the screws are, and they're different shapes. It's literally like a yeah. you know round peg in a square hole type situation. <laughs> literally. Yeah. yeah um, okay, so I kind of remembered uh, <laughs> what I was talking to, you were talking about making the science accessible mm. and stuff like that. Um, uh, so because of my particular style of storytelling, there's a lot of science. And not only is there a lot of science, but the reader needs to understand it to understand the plot events that are happening. So I have to explain it to the reader. Um, so I, that that's a big part. Uh, that's a lot of work to, to make it like accessible and understandable and stuff. Um, I have a lot of fun with that, honestly. I think I, I, I think I would have enjoyed being a teacher. Um, but the, the main thing is just don't overwhelm the reader uh, with just raw information. Just tell them only what they need to know to understand enough of the science to get why this plot event is cool. Mm-hmm. That's it. You don't need to explain any deeper. They can go look it up if they want. And um, the other thing is don't talk down to them. And uh, don't try to prove to the reader how smart you, the writer, are. Like, oh, I'm going to use big words and complex terminology that you're not going to understand. <laughs> you have no idea what's going on in the story, but you will think that I'm smart, and that's the goal. No, I hate that, right? Um, and then finally, the big trick is humor. Um, readers will forgive any amount of exposition, any amount of complexity, if you present it with humor. If you make them laugh while they're absorbing this information, they will not only will they absorb the information better, but they'll also, they won't begrudge you that section. They won't be annoyed that they had to read that exposition because you made them laugh. And do you now know, Andy, in your gut when you've done, when you've got the science accessible enough, or have you got a trusted couple of people that you run it by and go, does that make sense to you? Um, I know mostly in my gut, but I never get it perfect, right? Um, so my editor, my wife, my you know, my, my trusted inner circle of beta readers, you know, they'll tell me this went into too much detail, I got bored, or I didn't understand this concept, you need to expand on what the hell's going on here. You know, they'll tell me when I mess it up. But uh, yeah, I probably get about nine out of every 10 of them right on the first try, so that's nice. Wow. So are you somebody that does the first draft come easily? Have you figured it out pretty much beforehand? No, the first draft for me is the hardest part. Mm. Um, Generally, when I'm writing a story, like for instance, for Project Hail Mary, I knew how it was going to begin. I knew three or four of the main turning points in the story, and I had the ending worked out in advance. Okay, great. Everything else was getting from point A to point B in the writing. And I never really have a problem with ideas on directions for the story or what this will happen and that'll happen. It usually doesn't take me very long to work that out. But uh, the hardest thing for me is just motivation, just sitting my ass down and putting the words into the document. Like that's the hardest part for me. I have to like crack the whip on myself. Um, You know, I say, okay, I'm gonna write a thousand words today, even if I don't want to. I'm going to do it. I'm going to move this story forward. I have it all planned out from this point. I know what the next couple of chapters are going to be. So I don't have to brainstorm anything. I've done with all the research. I got to write it. Sit your ass down. Do it. For me, I I always say the first draft is the hardest. Later drafts, I actually enjoy that. I actually enjoy the editing and 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 later draft project process because it's a lot easier to paint a house than it is to build a house, right? Yeah. Yeah, Andy. Let me just make sure that's sunk in for Natalie. It's a lot easier to paint a house than it is to build a patronizing git. 
Uh-oh, what did I miss? Did, are you building a house? No, no, no. no. She's, uh, she's stuck in edits, Andy, for her first book. Oh, okay. Actually, my edits are, are good. I'm on to my second book. I'll have you know, Phil Williams. I'll have you know. <laughs> right, but the editing is a lot easier than the first draft. No, 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 no. 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 Oh. The editing is hell. The first draft is such fun. It's just well, like, between yay. you and me, we make one good writer. <laughs> <laughs> Or one really bad writer, depending on yeah. what aspects you take. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, no, I, I find the editing really, that's like the the homework, right? That's kind of going mm. back and making sure that all the bits like, oh, I changed that bit there. That means. The oh, yeah, that's annoying. That is annoying. That and... But for me, it's like, I guess the thing I like is because it takes me out of the creative mode and into the analytical mode, which I, which is the world that I'm more comfortable in, right? I'm like, okay, okay now I'm. I'm, you know, instead of, this. Here, yeah, instead of here's a blob, make it, you know, make it happen. Here's <laughs> nothing, put something there. It's a lot easier when it's like, here's a thing, make it prettier. Uh, and I'm like, okay, here's a problem area. There's a problem area. There's a problem area. Work on this, then that, and then, and so on. Or is it, if I'm like, like, so as an analogy with a video game, if I'm starting a video game, I'm still on like playing with my character and my avatar and like changing the clothes and I'm doing the hair, <laughs> like the rest can come later. <laughs> Good enough. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I'm not still not gonna do the spoiler bit yet. Are you sure? <laughs> yeah, not ready? Sure. You're desperate to do it. Yeah, I am, of course I am. <laughs> uh, well, should we talk about the you're you're producing the film this time around, which is a new role for you, I believe. Right. Well, it's a bit of an overstatement to say I am producing the film. <laughs> I am a producer on the film. <laughs> there are real Hollywood producers who know what they're doing, doing the actual producing job. The reason I'm a producer on the film is, um, so with the success of The Martian, I decided when selling the Hail Mary rights, I decided I'd flex a little. And I said like, okay, um, I want an outright purchase, not just an option. And I want uh, gross participation, which means I want a percentage of the of the movie ticket sales. Like, yeah. yeah. And not a, not a big percentage, you know, I don't expect much, but just a little taste, just a little taste, you know? And I'm like, and I'm happy to stand behind the movie. You can just take whatever you'd want to pay me normally and then estimate how much you think the movie would make, what percentage of that is that, and then just give me that percent instead. I just want, I want to break into the world of gross participation. And so my agent told all the studios that, they said, if you want to bid on Hail Mary, this is what you got to do. And different studios had different approaches. Most of them said, we don't do gross participation for writers. We, oh. we just don't. You know, and but here's a big pile of money offer. Here's some other stuff. Maybe maybe you can interest you in that. But MGM, uh, which is the studio that ultimately bought it, said like we don't do gross participation for authors, but we do for producers. So we'll make you a producer. <laughs> so see, wow. it's that kind of problem solving that I appreciate. Yeah. <laughs> and so you know, I don't I don't get as big a share as the real producers or anything like that. But I got my I got my little tiny taste, and I'm happy. And uh, yeah, but it also means that I have some say over the story. Like I got to, you know, we had a very brief meeting on whether or not to approve Ryan Gosling as the lead. And we're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think the votes were yes, yes, hell yes, yes. You know, so that was that was pretty quick. Yeah. I, <laughs> I had final approval on the directors, which was interesting. Oh. So I, I approved lord and miller <laughs> yeah i was gonna say like so phil lord and christopher miller again i've happily in, in my other worlds um i also do a lot of entertainment journalism so i've interviewed 
Ryan Gosling and Lord and Miller uh, and enjoyed all of their company. They're so smart and funny, the three of them actually. And I think as a combo, yeah, I'm just so excited to see what that brings um, yeah. to the big screen. And I, I think Ryan is really, I mean, I've talked to him uh, several times on the phone about this project. And I think he's really excited because the guy is such a good actor, but he always gets put in roles where they tell him to be completely flat and emotionless. Like, <laughs> you know, the Blade Runner 2049, is that the year? Whatever, the new, the new Blade Runner. Yeah, yeah. He's like, do not show emotion. And then in First Man, he's playing yeah. Neil Armstrong, who was very famously unflappable and, and mild-mannered and stuff like that. And just, and there's so many movies where it's like, all right, you're now going to be sad Ryan Gosling staring out a window, go. And so this one where he gets to be actually kind of animated and humorous at times and, and, and so on, I think he's really looking forward to to, to playing a role where he can actually act. Yeah, because he is Tell, really funny, yeah. Tell Natalie yeah. what happened when um, when you were on the phone with him the other day, the little faux pas that you told me about on the radio. Oh, yeah. Uh, it wasn't the other day, it was a couple months ago. But yeah, I was talking to him and I was saying that exact thing. I said like, oh, sad Ryan Gosling staring out a window. I was saying, you don't have to do that. But I said Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> I think that happens a lot though, right? Yeah, and I said like, oh crap, I said Ryan Reynolds, and he's like, don't worry, it happens all the time, it's no big deal. <laughs> like Canadians named Ryan, whatever, it's all the same. <laughs> yeah, that's good. So is there a time frame on the movie or is it just whenever it's right? It's, yeah, it's early days yet and COVID messed with the production schedules of everything. Um, Drew Goddard, who wrote the adaptation of The Martian is working on the screenplay for Project Hail Mary. Um, and I mean, so that's the state we're in right now is he's developing the screenplay. He's having lots of calls with uh, Phil and Chris on that as they as they kind of like break the story into chunks and figure out what will and won't go in the screenplay. And uh, also Drew was, uh, and probably still is, busy with a Disney show that he was working on uh, as the writer. And so when I approached him last year, I said like, hey man, I want you to adapt this you know, I want you to adapt my new book into a movie and I'm a producer now, so I can be like, hey, let's get Drew. Um, uh, Drew said, well, I mean, I'm really busy. I have like too much stuff going on right now. And I'm like, well, when are you not busy? And he's like, well, it'd be a long time. And I'm like, well, how long's a long time? And he's like, look, I just don't have time. I'm like, okay, no problem, but I'll send you the book anyway. Just, you know, maybe you'd enjoy it. And like the next day he's like, okay, I read the book. I would like to write the screenplay. And that was a nice little ego boost for me. Yeah. And, um, and then I'm like, okay, so when are you not busy? He's like, I'm not, I'm not gonna be available for at least like six to eight months to even start on this. And I'm like, well, then we'll wait. At that point, it was like COVID was in full force. There were no productions going forward or anything. I'm like, what else are we going to do? Let's wait. I mean, Drew is such a good writer and the other producers agreed. And so we waited. Now he's, uh, fi he's finally now, I think, has enough time to get started on it. Does it make you, again, as a sort of ego boost, boost, I suppose, I don't know what the ratio is in The Martian for how many of your kind of zingers, your one-liners make it through i don't know <laughs> it's not about the zingers or one-liners it's just about a good cohesive story um although probably more of ryland's direct dialogue can go in because he doesn't swear yeah <laughs> okay so i'm gonna do it. i'm gonna do the spoiler thing now so uh oh is... <clears throat> it's spoiler time hide your, kids, hide your wife <laughs> but i don't think that, i mean it is a spoiler but it comes quite early-ish on in the book actually 
Oh, we worked out, didn't we? Because we we were on the phone earlier. Because Natalie was really, I mean, honouring Andy about whether she would tackle you about this or not. And we worked out that what she wants to talk to you about is 120 pages in. So we kind of that's the benchmark. I'm saying I'm saying that primarily to you listening to the podcast. Yeah. If you don't want to know, then just skip forward for maybe the next five minutes and then come back. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's just to talk about Rocky. We have yeah. to talk about Rocky. Come on. All right, let's talk about Rocky. So you've all been warned, mega spoiler. You should not listen to the, honestly, you should not listen to this if you haven't read the book yet. Okay. It'll just spoil stuff. But if you have, then Rocky- If you have, hello. (laughs) Rocky is an alien. Yes. uh, And he is just, I mean, you say that you, you find it difficult or less interesting perhaps to kind of delve into character, but as a character, Rocky is great. Thanks. I'm glad you like it. I I worked really, I worked hard on both of their characters. I I intended for Rocky to be likable, Mm -hmm. right? He's a very likable guy. He doesn't have a gender. He's a hermaphrodite. But yeah, um, he's uh, just the the most lovable uh, giant spider creature you could you could hope to meet. (laughs) But reading it and and kind of falling in love with Rocky a little bit uh, because he has to learn sarcasm and he has to learn a whole new language. um, But also you describe him in such detail. He is like a spider like character, very angular. Um, How I think making a movie out of this book so much hinges on rocky right because that's a really yeah no we've had write. we've had um ilm working on uh prototypes for what rocky could look like and stuff like that and there have been all these different ideas like what about this what about this what about this it's hard because you know he's an alien but he's also a really likable alien and and so and he we want him to be very different looking mm-hmm. he's and he's also got like rocky carapace. He's got like rigid, rigid structures instead of a, a flexible skin, and so that's another kind of limitation on the three D artists. Yeah, and also how he communicates as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, rocky communicates with basically whale song, but it's it's actually more like whale chords. Um, he has five different sets of vocal cords, and they can each into different notes. And that's it. They don't enunciate. So his species, they don't um, speak by pushing air out through a complicated tongue or anything like that. It's just they can make notes. And they have like five different notes they can make at a time. So a word will be either a chord or a series of chords. So that's that's the, how their language works. You might ask, how the hell are we going to show that in a movie? <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's been a yeah. topic of discussion. But we've got some ideas on how to make it work. We don't want to use subtitles, you know, and um, we'll get there. We, we, we have some ideas for how we can make it seamless to the to the viewer without having Rocky magically learn how to actually speak English, you know. Yeah. And have you got yeah, any, have I mean, any of so those ideas informed by your, your past? Because we were, again, if you heard Andy on the radio show the other week, you'll know that his formative years were in computer and uh, programming and game design and stuff like that. Yeah, um, uh, so I can't really talk about the ideas we have for the film because everything about film production is like tippy top secret. Mm-hmm. Um, but I can tell you that in the audiobook, the way they handled it, uh, the uh, Ray Porter uh, is the voice of the narrator and everything like that. And the way they did it was they just played notes when Rocky was speaking. It, when there are parts of the book where Rocky's speaking and Ryland doesn't have any idea what it says. So, it, and in the book, that's just shown as quote and a bunch of musical notes, end quote, 
right? In the audiobook, you just hear musical notes, obviously. Um, once um, w in the book, eventually we get to the point where Ryland has like a computer translating what Rocky has to say for him. And then later still, Ryland just knows enough of Rocky's language to be able to understand it without the intervening translation. So the way that was done in the audiobook, I thought they did a very good job was over time, it just became um, Ray Porter saying what Rocky's saying in English and the notes are playing behind it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So you can hear the musical notes and also Ray Porter saying like, you know, bad, 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 bad. And he's got this cool little accent like for Rocky. It's neat. I love it. You, just before we get to your recommendations, actually, um, are you writing at the moment? Do you already? Yes. Yeah, I'm working on my next book now, but I'm not talking about it because I have learned the hard way that sometimes I'll get quite a ways into a book before I realize that it sucks. Um, <laughs> between The Martian and Artemis, I worked on a book called Zhek, Z-H-E-K, Zhek, and um, I got 70,000 words into it and spent a year on it before I realized that it sucked and was unsolvageable. What, what, was, the, what was the turning point? Why did it suck so badly? Um, I, it was just a story that was so monumentally epic in scale that the only way to tell it required me to jump around from one group of characters to another, to another, to another, and different settings. And it was just what I thought would be this huge tapestry of an amazing story turned into a muddled mess. And of, of uh, I was trying to be George R. R. Martin and I'm not, you know, <laughs> I'm just not. And but so we, um, we should point out that he says you're the best in your field there is a quote from him that well, says, if yes you i know that's awesome yeah. well he's the best in his field so, yeah. <laughs> i thought you guys were in the same field well he's fantasy i'm sci-fi oh, yeah. well he does write a lot of sci-fi he yeah. does but his you know his, he's most known for a, a song of ice and fire aka game of thrones and that's yeah. um that's clearly fantasy <laughs> yeah wow so will that ever resurface jack no no, Done. it's gone. I put it on a back burner. Then I put the stove that that burner's on in a back room, and then I burned down the room. Um, basically, the main problem with Jack was like every part of it had a problem. Um, there were too many plots, too convoluted. I couldn't trim it down without losing like significant amounts of stuff that were supposedly interesting. The characters were not compelling, and I was still in the first act after seventy thousand words. So it was going to be some gigantic nine hundred page ego tome that nobody wanted to read. And I'm just like, I'm not doing this. But I did steal a couple of things uh, from it for Project Hail Mary. Um, in Jack, there were, it was a space opera also. It was soft sci-fi. In Jack, there was an alien technology called black matter that would absorb all electromagnetic radiation and turn it into more black matter. And it could release it as light for propulsion for a ship. That was the seed of what eventually became astrophage in Project Hail Mary. And also there was a character very much like Strat um, we haven't actually talked about it all, but in uh, there's a character very similar to Strat in in Jack, and I kind of stole her personality for Strats. And she is but those were kind character. of the only the only good. What's that? She is a great character, and again, yeah, I think she's awesome. In sci-fi, sometimes uh, sometimes the female characters can be quite one-dimensional, and I really liked how kick-ass she was. And oh, thank you. Done. Yeah, there's for me. I mean. <laughs> Like I said, I, I'm, I'm not strong on characters. And a lot of people gave me shit for Jazz in, um, in uh, Artemis saying that she wasn't like a realistic woman, uh, oh. which is too bad. I put a lot of work into it. Like I gave it to every woman I knew and trusted to get feedback and try to make sure that Jazz was 
but a lot of people just, uh, I don't know. Um, I'm enjoying I, I got... this so far. Yeah, oh, well, thank is working you. for me and Artemis, so yeah. Okay, well, thanks. Um, but uh, I, I always like it when I hear that from a woman, it makes me feel a little better. <laughs> um, but um, uh, I have like in my mind, I have a list of tropes uh, for female characters, especially female characters in sci-fi that I'm just really conscious to avoid. Give us um, a few. Uh, one of them is like sex vixen, like don't do that. You know, she needs to have also for not just science fiction, but all stories, the woman, if you have a female character, whatever your female lead is, needs to have agency, like her decisions affect the plot. Yeah. And she needs to um, exist for, her purpose in the story has to be more than just a motivation for the main character. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't like it when the female character is just there to be kidnapped or or there to be like, he's doing this to save his wife or to help his wife or something like that. I want her in the fray with decisions that that affect the plot. Um, and other than that, I guess, uh, yeah, that those are the ones I try to avoid. Um, in so many movies, I see the grafted on female character. It drives me crazy. Like, I call them fast forward characters when I'm like, I could literally skip every scene with this character in it and I would not miss a single thing happening in the movie. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. That kind of character I don't like, male or female, but it's off, it's usually female. And it's like they just wanted to have a lead actress in there and they did that. And so, yeah. A lot of people will talk about the Bechtel test, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right? Um, and the Bechtel test, it, the actual rules of the Bechtel test are. Um, your book or movie or whatever, your work of fiction passes the Bechtel test if one, you have at least two named female characters and two, they talk to each other and three, the subject is about something other than a man. Okay, so that's the definition of the Bechtel test. I don't like it because it's trying to objectively quantify whether or not a book is sufficiently feminist. I would remind you that most lesbian porn would pass the Bechtel test. <laughs> Right. So uh, I'm just not impressed with that as a litmus. Also, uh, Star Wars A New Hope fails the Bechtel test uh, because Princess Leia is the only female character in it. And but I don't think anyone would consider Princess Leia to be a weak character. No. And her her actions have agency and she matters. She's really important. She's very self-sufficient. She's not there just to have sex with somebody like so I, I don't like the Bechtel test. I have my own, my own test, which is basically what I said. The woman has to have agency over the plot. Her decisions matter and affect the course of the plot. And she's not there just to be a motivation for a male character. But that's, that's my approach. Well, it's, it's right. great that you're thinking about it, to be honest, exactly. um, which I think a lot of authors sometimes and filmmakers don't. So and in thanks. future episodes of bestsellers, Andy, we will now ask writers if they're applying the weird test. The weird <laughs> we'll make it catch on, right? It'll become a thing. Sure. <laughs> uh, let's have some recommendations from you. Then well, I guess book. in lesbian porn, the characters also have agency over the plot. <laughs> right? And and they're not there as a motivation for a male character. So I don't know. I guess my, my, my approach isn't any better than the Bechtel test. <laughs> All right. I mean, if you insist, we can call it the weird lesbian porn test. I'll, I'll, oh, that sounds if you insist. lovely. <laughs> Let's get some recommendations from Andy Weir for other books. If I was going on a holiday tomorrow and I was going to be allowed onto a beach and I've already read Project Hail Mary, what would I be reading? Um, I, I loved uh, Recursion by Blake Crouch. That's a, a recent one. 
Uh, it's it's time it's a time travel story, and I love time travel. It's one of my favorite science fictiony things. Um, also, you know, I might recommend some of the classics, the things I grew up reading, like Caves of Steel by Isaac Asimov. That whole saga. There's a whole series of books in that, and Caves of Steel is the first one. It's fantastic. That takes place in Asimov's robots uh, setting, you know, with the three laws of robotics and all that. Um, also, Arthur C. Clarke's Rama, about an alien spacecraft comes into our solar system and doesn't, it does, it's not talking to us or anything, but we're real curious about what's going on there. Um, and then for uh, Heinlein, who's the third of my holy trinity of authors, I would, he's got a bunch of um, books. I mean, he had some major blockbusters like Stranger in a Strange Land. I didn't like Stranger in a Strange Land, but um, some of his other books that most people don't even really know about, I thought were fantastic. Uh, one of them is um, Have Space Suit Will Travel. Uh, another good one is Tunnel in the Sky. I love that one. Um, uh, 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 what was another one? Uh, uh, Starman Jones is good. The Rolling Stones, Red Planet. These are all like Heinlein juveniles. They were called juveniles. They're written in the 50s and 60s, and the target audience was like teenage boys, mm. but they're very enjoyable to adults too. Um, well, some yeah, of them are. I've, I've mentioned this to Phil on more than one occasion that often I think, uh, again, you know, we, we started talking about labels and what people call different things. And so let's end on that note too, as in, you know, like kids' books are still great and like young adult novels, if it's a really good story, just enjoy it. Like I've read some great YA stuff recently. I, I actually, I really enjoy, you know, it's funny, I enjoy fiction that's targeted at little kids, like fiction that's made for like tweens and below because, and it's funny, you don't really think about it, but it's because they can't rely on sex and violence as the primary plot mm -hmm. points because you're not really supposed to show that to little kids. So they have to come up with other interesting plots. They can't just rely on these old extremely overused tropes, yeah. you know, and so it tends to be more original and more interesting. Well, it's like the Hunger Games or, you know, stuff like that was great. So, Yeah, I personally am not into YA. Um, I feel like, no, I mean, I'm not like poo-pooing the entire <laughs> genre, but I'm saying like, in general, I do feel like science fiction has been kind of hijacked by these stories that portray the future as this bleak, fascist, miserable world yeah. where teenagers are required to do weird crap for some reason. And I get it. It's a nice, easy way to create a setting. Nobody, you don't have to spend a lot of time explaining to the reader, oh, fascists are bad and downtrodden people are good guys. You know, but it's also, in my opinion, contrary to reality. Like, I feel like we get better as a species, not worse. I feel like, would you rather, 2020 sucked. Would you rather live through that again or 1920? Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm with you yeah. on that. And um, Natalie would tell you that if ever she says, what about, uh, have you seen the, the press release for this book? And if the word dystopian is in it. I, yeah, that's it. <laughs> Th that's the same thing for me. The word dystopia means I'm not going to read it. Correct. But there's always exceptions. As I mentioned earlier, I'm a huge hypocrite. And for everything, for, you know, like, I say I don't like flashbacks, but I wrote flashbacks. Um, I say I hate dystopian novels and won't read them, but The Handmaiden's Tale. Mm. Yeah. yeah, That's dystopia, it right? Yeah. But it's really good. So there's always, there's always a way to do it right. It's just on the whole, dystopian novels to me are just usually not, not my cup of tea. Yeah, yeah. Well, the good news is you're very much our cup of tea. Uh, the time's whizzed oh, by, thank you. and we've really, really enjoyed speaking to you. And for me, for a second time, just bliss. And you know, anytime, <laughs> Andy, anytime. Well, it's nice to see your face for a change this time. Yeah, you, well, you sure? <laughs>
Oh. <laughs> yeah, and if you're, uh, I can help with any like first draft problems, and then I'll like pay the favor on yeah. editing. And like... no, that sounds good, Natalie. Uh, I've got my next story. I'll just send you what I've got so far, and I need you to finish it. Not a problem. Finish the first draft for me, I'm great with and then ideas. send it back to me for edits. And you can send me your book for edits too. No. <laughs> I will totally do that. We'll do that. That sounds good. Amazing. Thank you so much. <laughs> it's like the old days of. Uh, what uh, Carolyn Keene and Frank W. Dixon, those quote unquote authors were not people, they were committees. These are the people who wrote, um, Frank W. Dixon is the um, write, the name given to the writers of the Hardy Boys books. Oh. And Carolyn Keene was the Nancy Drew Mysteries. Oh. And they're both the same company. And it was all just a, a collection of writers Usually they'd have one writer write an entire book, but they would also have like, it, it was a, a conglomeration. It's kind of interesting, an interesting yeah, approach. It is. Wow. If you find the right people, then why not? Yeah, they did. Yeah. Great. And Andy, thanks so much. Done. Thanks for having me. Take care. Look after yourself. Thank we'll you. catch you soon. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. that bit right right there at the end i was properly high pitched yeah cool that's great thanks andy love chatting to you <laughs> do you know now that you say it right okay, i can't hear it and you reminded me of, of perry from kevin and perry thank you mr weir thank you mr weir <laughs> yeah no thank you mr I, I know you didn't really mean that thing about like you know you helping me out with my books and me helping you out with your books but it was just really nice to have you say it anyway <laughs> i thought that was really cool when he said to you that together you and he would be the perfect writer and i thought that's yeah. really generous what a lovely thing to say for yeah a and especially seeing as, as he's never read anything i've written yet so. <laughs> <laughs> and especially yeah. as he's he's a man who has ryan reynolds on the phone yeah imagine the dream <laughs> <laughs> and also um hey, i've just done what he did <laughs> i've just done what he did ryan gosling he's a man who has ryan gosling on the phone that's exactly what he told us he did in the pod and i've yeah, just done true. it and i was just already thinking of both of the ryans and like either one's fine so yeah um i also wanted to re-mention uh his <laughs> dog how cute is his dog oh the poor dog the blind dog the blind dog shuffling around looking for something to lick yeah 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 yeah. I, I, yeah, I, you know, this is what I love about podcasts, right? If that had been a radio thing, I think you'd have Ryan's edited it out. Take that out, yeah, yeah. because it, it seems like a clunky gap. But actually, it was quite human, <laughs> wasn't it? Because he says, hang on a minute. And then obviously, we can see what's going on. And um, yeah, the dog was a big part of I got the feeling the dog provides quite a lot of solace for him as he's writing as well. Do you know what I mean? I think that dog's always by his side. Yeah, well, likewise, I mean, I don't know what it's, I know you've been going into an office, but I still haven't really gone into an office yet. And there are obviously cats around in my house all the time. And it's great. And they're the greatest excuse as well to be like, oh, I just need to like feed the cats or, you know, like give them another little cuddle and stuff. And um, yeah, it's better than a tea break. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I get it. I get it. Just, I'm only laughing because of your turn of phrase. I wasn't <laughs> laughing at the concept. I totally get it. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Very good. So thanks to Andy Weir, um, Project Hail Mary, and now, if you haven't read it, one of Amazon.com's picks of 2021. And what's next? Are you across these matters? Because you're really your head of admin, aren't you? I am. Uh, although I don't like to use that title. I don't know why. I think maybe I should. 
Natalie Jameson, head of admin. Um, that's the thing when you're freelance, you can kind of make up your own titles yeah. a bit, can't you? Uh, so I, you know what I prefer it. for you is vice what? president content. Okay, but what does that make you president though? In which case, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> I hadn't thought about that. No, do you know what I, thought, I thought two vices is what I was thinking in my head when uh, I said it. Ah, there you go. Um, <laughs> That's hilarious. <yes. laughs> next week, I believe we're going to I'm hear from... i my power over you. <laughs> yeah, go on, next week. We're going to hear from Erin Kelly um, and then closely followed by Zakia Delilah Harris with the mm. other black girl. But Erin Kelly's Watch Her Fall um, is another thriller and it's great. I look forward to you all hearing and enjoying. And if you do want to get in touch with us, they can, right? bestsellerspodcast at gmail.com is the email address bestsellerspodcast at gmail.com or you can find us both on that there twitter and say hello play nicely and recommend this to five of your friends for me please i'm going big on that for season two i want you to have told five of your friends about how much you're enjoying this pod and the book recommendations not just from us but from our magnificent writer guests that we have on who each give you two or three of their own too fantastic right i'm off for a tea break or maybe cuddle a cat your choice (laughs) 